is thinking about um, what I'm talking about tonight and what kept coming up for me is that phrase, the water we swim in. And I want to talk about um, the, the perceptions we have, our conditioning, and how powerful they are and how important it is to know that they're there to have, as I was talking about in the meditation, have some clarity around our experience rather than just going along with um, our reactivity. And uh, I saw a story uh, about this, and it, it was... A, there were a couple of young fish swimming in the ocean, and they were swimming along, and they, uh, they met an older fish who said, hey, good morning, how's the water? And uh, kept swimming, and then one of the young fish said to the other one, what the hell is water? Because um, don't even, um, you know, we're swimming, we don't even know we're swimming in the water we're swimming in, and so to have even that awareness that we have conditioned mind is so important. And the Buddha talks about that all the time, this conditioning we have. And our conditioning interprets everything that we, um, we greet and meet in this world, everything we see, we talk, we experience. And uh, we have our conditioning, our experiences, the people we interact with have their experiences, their conditioning. And it's impacting everything, everywhere, all the time. And it's constantly changing. Um, you know, the Buddha talked about perceptions that are perceptions of forms and, and sounds and thoughts and things. are They're change, changeable, inconstant, alterable. Um, and once you recognize this and you have this awareness of this... Uh, shifting and changing all the time instead of being, you know, when we're not aware of our conditioning, we're just reacting and we're stuck in the same stories over and over again. A lot of times the details change, but the underlying tendencies to take us into particular directions remain the same. And so that's the invitation. Once we recognize that, the Buddha said, you're well on your way to liberation. He said, um, one who knows this, has pondered this, sees things are this way, is a stream enterer, which means you're on your way to enlightenment and uh, awakening. So it's not easy to do because we don't see the water we're swimming in, but it's really important, and mindfulness is a real grounding in that, and it's an invitation to... Um, investigate you start to see it when you do sit you start to see how you get stuck in these patterns maybe it's the same thought coming back again and again and again or um, in our lives it's like sometimes we always end up in the same situation why do I end up in the same kind of relationship the same type of thing or why do I do things I don't want to do it's this deep 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 conditioning that we have to become aware of and it's it's from our family of origin, we were taught things growing up, whether explicit or implicit, how we were treated, how we, um, the things we heard in society telling us we are, this is right, this is wrong, you're, you don't look the right way, you don't act the right way, you don't speak the right language, you don't have the right co the color skin, you don't love the right kind of person. All these messages we get constantly um, and still, to this day, we're constantly being bombarded um, 
and we have to, we ha I, I heard Banksy, I didn't hear him, but I read that he said, you know, even as a bus drives down the street and the advertisement on the side of the bus is bombarding us and we're taking it in without even being aware of it. And, and whenever I talk about this, or a lot of times when I talk about this, and I heard Larry Ward, uh, who's a teacher I really admire and, and listen to a lot of his talks, he talks about it too. It's that, that um, the, the story of Plato's cave, if you're aware of that, um, Plato, the, the Greek philosopher, he talks about his his um, allegory of the cave is these people are living in a cave and they're and they're tied down, chained, and all they're they're looking at the back of a wall. All they see is the back of a wall, and behind them is a fire, and there are people like moving puppets and things in front of the fire, and all they see are the shadows on the wall, and to them, that's reality. That's all they know. They don't know anything else. And so that's their reality. And then if they try and leave the caves, as soon as they turn around, they've got the, the fire uh, is in their eyes. They see the light, which they're not used to bright light. So all of a sudden they're blinded and it's painful. And then when they leave, if they get pulled out of the cave, then it's even more painful trying to adjust to this world where everything is totally different. Everything. It's not just shadows on a wall, but it's this 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 whole universe. And um, when you can arrive outside the cave and have this clarity of what's going on, you're no longer dealing with the stories of the shadows on the wall, but you're actually dealing with the reality of this moment. And that's that's the key. That's the important part. Um, and, and when I was looking up that, I, I read this other thing. I found this other thing um, written by Sir Fan Francis Bacon in the 16th century. And he talked about the idols of the cave. And he said, this is the idols of the individual man. Everyone has a cave or den of his own, which refracts and discolors the light of nature, owing either to his own proper and peculiar nature or to his education and conversation with others, or to the reading of books and the authority of those whom he esteems and admires, or to the differences of impressions accordingly as they take place in a mind preoccupied and predisposed, or in a mind indifferent and settled, or the like. So that the spirit of man is in fact a thing variable and full of uh, worry and governed as it were by chance. So you have the Buddha talking about this, you have Plato talking about this, you have Sir Francis Bacon talking about this, you have multiple people talking about this, yet it's still, even that we know that this is a thing, it's like it's a thing over there. And instead we have to bring it into our awareness and recognize that we are conditioned beings. And so much of our discomfort is because we are conditioned. The first noble truth says, you know, we're, we're human beings um, and there is discomfort, there is dukkha, there is this, this um, uh, so dukkha is often translated as suffering, but I also like to think of about it as this inability to be at ease with the way things are. Um, I took, gave a talk a few, maybe a month or so ago and looked at all the different interpretations of dukkha and a lot of the different traditions, and a lot of them talk about it's just this inability to be at ease with the way things are. 
And we, because we believe things should be a certain way, we believe we should have particular things, we believe our lives should unfold, and we need this to be happy, and we chase this when our lives are going in a different direction, so we're unhappy because it's not working out the way we want. I always like to ask the question um, when I teach, or, or a lot of times when I'm, when I'm reflecting on this is, how many of you in this little Zoom mosaic think you should be further along than you really are right now in your lives? So many of us have this dissatisfaction, this unease, and it's because we want something different from the way it is. <clears throat> and um, what we have to begin to bring in is um, critical thinking, um, the Buddha talked about in this one sutta of the Kalamas, the idea of uh, doubt. The Kalamas are this group of people who, when the Buddha came to their village, they said, you know, we get these teachers in here every month or every week, and they all tell us um, their philosophy and how their philosophy is the philosophy, their teachings are the teachings, and so what's your story? What are you going to tell us? And he said, you know, you're right to be skeptical. You're right to doubt because you can't just believe it because people say it. Which, and it's like we just can't believe it because we've always believed it. Just because we think it's true doesn't mean it's true. We have to recognize that we are impacted by the world we live in. We are impacted by the water we swim in. Good, bad, and different. Sometimes it's beneficial. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we're taught... Anger is bad. You're not supposed to feel angry. How can you turn off emotions that show up? And then you have this emotion and then you're in this conflict with it and I'm a bad person. How do I not feel angry or judgment or harshness or however you react? And that's just one example. But the Buddha said you have to see for yourself what is true. Is this real? Is this true? Is this taking me away from dukkha? or towards dukkha, away from suffering or towards suffering. In, if the place you're in is uncomfortable and, and there's this extra level of discomfort, not because the situation is uncomfortable, but because the mind has created a story of this shouldn't be this way, it needs to be different, that's when you want to begin to investigate what's going on right here, right now. Find out for yourself what is true. Ehipasiko. Find your own way with this. There's this invitation to skeptical doubt. What is this? You know, and uh, Shunru Suzuki in Begin Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind talks about this don't know mind. As soon as we assume we know, then we, we're no longer in connection with the reality of the moment because we've decided this is the way it is perhaps without um, actually connected to the reality. And it's like, this is the way it is. And it's like, is it really? Is it really the way it is? And so the invitation is to instead investigate, what is this? What is this actual experience? And, and mindfulness is so important because when we practice, it's the, that's when we begin to recognize the patterns and assumptions the stories that we carry deep within us. We recognize the patterns of the culture and what we've been taught. You know, the, that 
I'm, um, you know, that in, at least in the United States, the West, there's this, this idea of um, continual achievement, more productivity, more, more, more. You're never, you know, it's like, it's almost never enough. And so we're running this race to catch up with something that we'll never catch up to. And so to go, is that really true? Is that really true? There's a woman um, who um, on Instagram, she, her handle, and I think on Twitter too, but on Instagram, she's the Nat Ministry. And she talks about rest as revolution and saying no to this rat race and saying, you know, why am I, why am I believing this? You know, why? because I've been told it, because it's been passed down for centuries, you know, we have to question both societal um, norms. I mean, you know, um, we used to have slavery. That used to be the norm. Um, we had all kinds of discriminatory laws. We had, um, uh, well, I don't have to, uh, I don't have to um, delineate it, but all these things were the norms, and people didn't question them, and it's, you know, this is what's beautiful about the Buddhist teaching, um, like the Eightfold Path, because so much of it and the precepts underlying it is living a life that doesn't cause harm and cultivates compassion. And so the Eightfold Path is a way to move away from suffering. It's how we live in the world without causing harm to ourselves and others. And so the, the Eightfold Path underlies a lot of this critical thinking that we're doing. Is this causing harm to me or to others? Is this grounded in compassion? Is this grounded in honesty? Is this grounded in generosity? And those are really helpful questions to ask when we're beginning to this critical thinking, beginning this investigation beginning to question these patterns that we've maybe never questioned before, you know? My own story, which I've, I've shared a lot, is when I was growing up, it was in my family. For me, my experience was it was not okay to say things that other people didn't like to hear. Um, so I learned to keep my mouth shut because I could never tell whether what I would say would be well received or not. So I just learned to keep my mouth shut. And I learned, I moved into kind of a, a, a was kind of fell into people pleasing and perfectionism, which is always a, a fatal place to go because perfectionism is impossible. So I lived, a, uh, I just kept my mouth shut and I became a chameleon. It's like, what kind of music do you like? I don't know. What kind of music do you like? Because I was afraid to give you an answer that you might not like because then, then you might, it might not um, end well for me. It might, it might hurt. Um, and that was a real deep, deep, deep conditioning. Some deep core conditioning that I still work with. But it's much better because I, I can see it for what it is today. And it took me a lot of time, a long, years, to work through that. To recognize, oh, I've been asked a question. I have to give a response. 
and feeling those feelings. This is what's important about this practice as well because we get reconnected to the sensations in the body. We begin to recognize emotions in the body and like, ooh, the anxiety rests in my belly. Okay, I can feel that anxiety when I have to say something that I'm afraid they may not like. Tell somebody something that they're not going to want to hear. Even in business, if you tell somebody they're, you know, they're, they're not doing well in their job or something, or simple things. Um, and so to recognize that and to work towards, wow, this was some deep conditioning that had a real negative impact on my life. Because I kept quiet when I should have said things. And I would walk away rather than saying something. And so this, is, this causes suffering. This causes discomfort. And to, to see that conditioning... I mean, that's really deep. And then it can also be something as simple as recognize, you know, seeing somebody that reminds you of someone you don't like because they, you know, and then treating them poorly or getting a bad impression of them. It's like, oh, I don't like that person. Why not? It's like, oh, yeah, because they, they remind me of that kid that called me a name in seventh grade. Or music or sounds or smells, they trigger so many things. And so that's why it's really important to recognize What's happening in this moment? Recognize what's happening right now. Um, we have to pay attention to the voices that we hear and pay attention to the voices that we don't hear. What's, what's being presented to us? Um, I was talking about this um, the other day and... Um, thinking about the fifth precept. And the fifth precept is pretty much um, not imbibing in uh, drugs or alcohol, which lead to heedlessness, but Thich Nhat Hanh has expanded on that to watch everything we ingest, really pay attention to what we're absorbing. I mean, you can, you can listen to the news 24-7, but is that wise? Um, you can spend hours on social media, but is that wise? Watch what you watch the the people you keep company with. You know, watch what you take in. We have to guard our sense doors. What are we ingesting? What kind of food are we ingesting? Is it lead to sluggishness or is it helpful for our bodies? You know, so there's all not not saying anything's right or wrong, and what's right for some people may may not be appropriate for other people. We have to find our own way. It's called, they always say, start where you are. Start where you are. What's right for you? What are you ingesting that, that leads to certain points of view or, or conditioning? Instead, really pay attention. Pay attention. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day who was saying that um, he was raised in Arizona, and, which is a very conservative state. And he doesn't feel that he's conservative. He's lived in California for many, many years. But he finds that he still has these old automatic reactions to things. Automatic reactions. And it takes a moment to stop and go, wait a minute. I actually don't think that. I'm just kind of reacting. But that's why mindfulness is so important. Mindfulness is so important because we have to pay attention. Um, 
when we don't pay attention, we're just we're just tr captured. And there's a there's a teaching um, that I rarely talk about the aggregates, um, but it's these five. It's one of the uh, uh, the dhammas in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the dhammas, and it's basically form, which is um, um, you know our simple simple what is it the physical world. And then there's the sensation, which is like the feeling tone, whether things of those, those experiences are pleasant or unpleasant. And then there's perception, which is um, the recognition of an object. So if we see something on the floor, we recognize it as a sock or, or a shoe or something. Um, so there's perception. And then there's the um, ideas, the formations that are triggered by that perception, the autopilot reaction that goes into play in it. So we hear something, we see something, we automatically jump to conclusions. Not consciously, it's just reactive. It's what the brain does. And until we, and if we're not paying attention, we're just going to go down that path. Um, I told us, I told, had an experience many, many years ago when I was teaching at this one meditation center where the teacher sat, the air conditioner blew right on the teacher, and right before the air conditioner turned on, I tell this story a lot because it was it's so powerful. You hear a click click, and so I'd hear a click click, and immediately know, okay, here comes the air conditioner. And my reaction was always, I hate the air conditioner. It's going to keep going. I'm going to get so cold. I hate it. And here I'm leading a meditation. People are all sitting there, and I'm like, come back to the present. You know, settle in, and my inside my head is like, I hate the air conditioner, I hate it. Eh. And then I said, because I heard the click, click, and I immediately went into, oh, I'm going to start freezing. And then somewhere in the middle of this, I went, maybe I should do what I'm telling these people to do. And so I stopped, and I said, what's actually happening right now? Okay, feeling the cool air coming on, but it's not horrible. It's not awful. I'm not freezing to death. But it was just that sound, that click, click was like, oh, I'm freezing. And it's like, that's not reality. So often our experience and reality, reality and our thinking about it are, are miles apart. And this practice is a bringing us together with reality. And we have to be willing to let go of our cherished ideas. We have to be willing to let go. We have to become intimate with this experience of right here, right now. And it can be scary. Because if our conditioning is lifelong, and even if it's painful... It can be scary to let go of something we've, we've known all our lives. These, these ideas about ourselves, these, this self-cherishing, this, this way we see the world, the way we think we should be, the way we think you should be, the world should, all those shoulds, you know? Instead of letting the perception take over, we need to stay grounded in the experience. What's really here? Not those shadows on the back of the cave, but what are the puppets, these people? You know, take a look and turn around and see what are they holding up. That's what's real. 
you know? And sometimes it's helpful to understand why we have those views. Sometimes you may never get to the bottom of, like, that, that recognition of why it was so hard for me to, to speak up. Um, I didn't know why for many, many, many years. It took therapy. It wasn't just, med- it wasn't just meditation, I have to say. But and now it makes a lot of sense for me. But to recognize the patterns regardless of where they started, because sometimes we don't know where the, the seed was. And in, in, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh also talks about this as a Yogacara tradition. These seeds of experience are, are planted. All our experiences plant seeds, and then they bloom when the conditions are right. And we can't help what shows up. All we can do is work with what shows up when it shows up and be willing to not hold on to our cherished ideas. Um, there's, a, there's a quote from James Baldwin that I just saw today. I don't even, I think I was just scrolling through some Instagram or something and somebody had this posted. And it fits so perfectly. It says, if I love you, I have to make you conscious of the things you don't see. If I love you, I have to make you conscious of the things you don't see. It's an act of kindness to help point. And and I'm talking about ourselves, too. If we love ourselves, it's really beneficial for us to be grounded in reality. That's the path to freedom. We're no longer trapped in this cycle of wanting things to be a particular way, trapped by these stories, this entanglement and this conditioning of, of, of chasing the pleasant, pleasant and pushing away the unpleasant. There's a freedom there when we're not constricted inside these boxes that have been created by us and created for us. There's so much space. It doesn't mean everything is, is beautiful and, and, and pleasant all the time. That, no, we're human beings. It's the human condition. We're going we're gonna to get sick. We're going to get old. We're going to die. Everything we love will be taken from us. That's the reality of, of the human condition. But can we make peace with that human condition? That's the question. And the practice says, yeah, we can make peace with that. Right now it's like this. How do I hold this moment with gentleness, with kindness? You know, this is, I I think the seven factors of awakening are a beautiful teaching. The first factor is mindfulness. Pay attention to what's actually happening. Pay attention to the sensations in the body. Pay attention to those, those thoughts that keep coming back. That thought that you're unlovable, that thought that that you're on the outside looking in, that it's never going to be okay. That second arrow that intensifies the discomfort of the moment. When we're, when we're trying to figure it out in our minds, we take something that's uncomfortable and it intensifies the discomfort. When we're in this place of an, a, aversion and fighting, it just makes it worse. Can we just recognize what's here? Mindfulness. Investigate. What is this? What's going on here? I'm trapped in craving again. I'm trapped. I'm scared. There's a fear that's arising. And not even saying I am, but recognizing the the thing that's blooming. 
there is anger showing up. There is fear showing up. There's grief. There's joy. There's happiness. So know what's present and making the effort to stay. When you get drift, when you drift away, make the effort to come back. The four efforts are recognizing when you're caught in something that's not wholesome or beneficial. Be willing to let it go and cultivate the wholesome and the beneficial and, and learn to stay there. And then when you can do that, you move into the next factors of the, eight, of the seven factors of awakening, which are joy, ease, tranquility. Despite, you're not, your, your happiness, your ease, your tranquility is not dependent on circumstances. It's dependent on your relationship to circumstances, to react to what's going on. And when you have this mindfulness, this groundedness in the present, you can find that, that ease, that collectedness of mind. And then ultimately equanimity. The ability to be intimate with whatever arises without preference. Without preference. And equanimity is, is, is so um, important. You know, it's, it's one of the heart practices. It's one of the, 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 the Brahma Viharas. There's the a kind, loving kindness and friendliness and compassion and joy and equanimity. It's the appropriate response to whatever shows up. And so recognize that you do have some deep conditioning, some, some explicit, some you recognize, some that's like, oh, it's really embedded in there. Bring some willingness to see what's, what's invisible. Know, begin to investigate this water you swim in. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and, and um, yeah, mindfulness, willingness, um, and effort. That's the invitation of this practice, and that's where the freedom is. Seeing how deeply... Uh, um, conditioned we are and be willing to let go both personal societal cultural all that stuff um, so thank you thank you thank you my friends for your kind attention i hope this has been of some benefit thank you for visiting undefended dharma these teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystankavich.org backslash support. Thank you.